Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. As we get started, I'm going to invite you. You would have received, if you were, um, if you're online, you're going to want to grab a piece of paper and a pen. We're going to do a little bit of an exercise. If you came in the building and you're joining us in person, you would have received a piece of paper and a pencil or a pen. I want you to grab that and take it out now. We're going to start with a little exercise. This whole series has been on our thoughts. And so what I would like you to do is I would like you to take a moment to list your thoughts down. I know what you're thinking, Pastor Jessica, I'm not thinking about anything besides what you are talking about. But I bet in this gathering, maybe you'd write, I'm looking for a significant other. I want you to write down the things that constantly play in your mind right now, but also during your life? What are the things that you talk about? What keeps you up at night pondering so that you can't get a good night's sleep? I want you to list those things down. If you're able to come up with five things, that's fantastic. If you can come up with 10 things, that's even better, but it probably tells you that you might be an overthinker, and that's okay because you're in good company because I am an overthinker as well. And so for the next few moments, as you write those things down, whatever kind of plays on in your mind, that soundtrack going on in your head, I'm going to give you permission to take a break and for like a couple minutes, just not think about those things. In fact, I want you to take that list after you've written down a few things, and I want you to lay it face down beside you so the person beside you can't see it. Don't worry, you overthinkers. That list is going to stay there. Those words are going to stay there. You can get back to plan A, plan B, and plan C in just a moment. But you're just going to take a few minutes not even to think about those things. So once you have that list written down online, I want you to put that beside you and not look at it. Now, this summer, our son Max played soccer. And it was a difficult season because there were so many times where the weather prevented him from having games. He played on Wednesday nights. And if you'll remember back in June, we had a bunch of those smoke days. And so he wasn't able to play on those days. And then in July, it rained a bunch of Wednesdays. And so it seemed that every time we went to go play soccer, his game was canceled. Now, On one particular Wednesday, we were driving to his game and the sky opened up and torrential rain started pouring down and instantly he got so upset and emotional. And he started, he was very upset in the back seat and he said, I don't get it. Why does God answer my sister's prayers but not mine? Confused, I asked him, what do you mean, buddy, by that? And he reminded me of a conversation a few weeks back where we had been driving to the beach and I had seen some ominous black clouds in the distance. And I had said, oh, I hope our beach day doesn't get rained out. To which one of his sisters said, don't worry, mom. It's gonna be sunny. I already talked to God about it and I prayed and the sun is gonna shine all day. Well, on that day, the sun did shine all day. So it would make sense why my six-year-old wondered why God would answer his sister's prayers, but not his own. And I hear you all laughing. And it is funny, right? It is funny. But the truth is that I think all of us have asked questions along that line before. Why does God answer some prayers, but not mine? Why does God answer your prayers, 
but not my own. There's this amazing story in the Bible. It's about a guy named Elijah. We're going to talk about it today. And the Bible says that for three years, he prayed that there would be no rain and no rain dropped. All of a sudden, Elijah changed his prayers and he prayed that rain would come. And the Bible says that the heavens opened and the rain poured down. Wouldn't we all like to learn to pray a little bit like that? Wouldn't we all like to understand why God answers someone's prayer for rain, but not Max's prayer for sun? Well, we're going to answer those questions today by asking this question. How does our thinking weaken our prayers? Now, I'm going to warn you, the answer is a little bit uncomfortable. And so rather than me telling you that you are the problem, why don't we let Natalie swiftly tell us? just me or did anyone maybe see themselves in some of those lyrics? I have this thing where I get older, just never wiser. I'll stare directly at the sun, but I won't look in the mirror. Sometimes it's hard to admit that, hey, my name is Jessica and I can be the problem. The truth is that sometimes we get stuck in a cycle of our own making because the reality of our human existence and experience is that we tend to constantly be thinking and oftentimes these thoughts are constantly about ourselves. And this leads us to pray prayers that are solely based on ourselves. They sound like this, God I want, God I need, God I need you to do this. And the problem with that is that our prayers are weak when they are only about us. There's three reasons I thought, why are our prayers weak? Why would this be such a big problem if all I'm doing is praying about me and my needs? Well, the first is this. We can easily get stuck in a needs-based 
praying cycle. This idea that I say, God, I need, I continue to tell him, God, I need, God, I need, God, I need. I continually pray this every single day. God, give me a great sleep. I need to sleep tonight. God, help me with my kids. They're exhausting me. God, help me with that neighbor. I can't talk to that person right now. God, bless the food. God, give me a boyfriend. God, help me deal with that personal problem that I have. And so we get in this cycle that we can't seem to get out of. The second reason is that we can be tempted to treat God as our genie. And this is a real problem. As if God is in, stuck in a lamp that I am holding, and there he is just waiting for me to tell him my three daily wishes of the day. The third problem is this. Our prayers inform our beliefs, and our beliefs build the foundations of our faith. You see, the words that we pray actually reveal what we believe about God. And so if we're praying only these surface level prayers, as I would call them, then the problem is going to be we're going to only have a surface level faith. It's similar to how my kids treated God like their genie when they pray and ask him for sunshine. It's great when it all works out, but the next time that the sun doesn't come, we are all tempted to believe that either God doesn't exist or worse, that he doesn't even Care. This past week, I was in a conversation with somebody who told me that they grew up in a religious home. They'd gone to First Communion. They went to church every Sunday. Religion was uber important in their house. Then came a day when their older sibling got sick, and the family and the church had prayed that God would heal their older sibling. And when God didn't do what they asked him to do, their faith crumbled. And when their sibling passed away, their faith went away as well because their prayers had become their belief. Friends, it's so easy for us to turn God into our genie. And if we treat him like our genie, we're going to be disappointed every time he doesn't do exactly what we want him to do. And we're going to be tempted to walk away from it all when he doesn't answer our prayers in the way that we have asked him. So does this mean we should not go to God with our needs and tell him, well, no, Pastor Jonathan, you told us that if it matters to me, then it matters to God. If it matters to me, then it matters to God. The Bible says, cast our cares on God, because why? He cares for us. See, God invites us to share our needs with him, to give him our heavy burdens, because he can so easily carry them. But the approach that we take in this is really important. See, we can go to God with our closed fists and our big agendas. God, I need you to do this, in this way, in this timing, or... We can go to God with open hands of surrender. God, this is what I'm struggling with. I don't know what to do, but I need you to help me. Now, a practice that I've started to learn on how to discern if my hands are closed, tight-fisted, or open is to simply ask myself this question, even if. Can I pray even if after I've told God my needs? God, this is what I'm struggling with. This is where I'm worried. This is where I'm fearful. But even if you don't do what I want you to do, or even if you don't do what I'm going to tell you to do, I'm still going to trust you. My, I'm still going to put my hope in you. I found that if I can say at the end of my prayers, even if you don't do it, my hands are probably open and I'm surrendered. But if my, I can't say that, I probably have my fist kind of closed off and probably have an agenda that I want God to follow. And I need to do a bit of work because prayer is a practice. You can practice and get better at prayer, just like you can practice in a sport or in a competition. So today we're going to ask ourselves, how can we pray more effectively? The first truth is this, effective prayers embrace a contemplative approach. Now this past year I've been learning about the benefits of cold 
plunges. Cold plunges are this ancient health practice that have gone on for centuries, but they've become quite popular over the last few years. And basically what a cold plunge is, is that you submerge your whole body into freezing cold water for a prolonged period of time. Now, cold plunges are known to have incredible health benefits, but of course, you need to talk to your doctor before you ever do anything uh, that you need to talk to your doctor, make sure that they're okay with it. Now, if you've never done a cold plunge, let me tell you, it's crazy cold. The first few seconds are excruciating. Your body is literally screaming at you to get out of the water. And in those first few minutes, it's really easy to bail on the practice. It actually takes extreme mental concentration to remain in the water because cold plunges are really a battle of your mind. At first, all you can think about is the freezing cold water, but after a few minutes, something incredible happens. The reality of the freezing cold water begins to matter less. And as time progresses, your mind actually stops focusing on being so cold and you become more alert to other things. It's almost as if your brain kicks into another gear that you never knew that you had before. A contemplative approach to prayer is very similar to learning how to do a cold plunge. See, our human tendency is to go to God with all of our needs. Just like our human tendency is when we get into cold water, to jump out of it. Both of these responses are a complete direct result of the present circumstances that we are currently facing. God, look what I'm dealing with. I need you to do this. Body, you are in freezing cold water. Get out of the water now. But just as you can train yourself to stay in the cold water, you can train your mind to move into deeper areas of prayer. Now, jumping out of the cold water, I would say is kind of like our needs-based prayer approach. Another word you might use for that is called calculated. The dictionary describes calculated as this, planned or arranged in order to produce a particular effect. Now, our tendency in prayer is to go to God with planned or arranged thoughts in order to get him to do what we want him to do. Calculated prayers often are present-focused, what I'm dealing with right now. They're certainly me-focused. Everything is directly affected to me. And their needs focus. I give God an overview of the things that I'm doing and the things that I need him to do. Calculated prayers kind of can start with God I need. So they sound like God I need a house. God I need a job. God I need good weather because next week is the church kickoff and we want to be outside. God I need a significant other. God I need wisdom to pass my test. God I need patience to deal with this family that you have given me. Remember, the danger in praying only needs-based prayers, this calculated approach, is that we're tempted to treat God as a genie stuffed in a lamp. In fact, Jesus cautioned his disciples to not only get stuck praying in this, in this way. Jesus says, when you pray, when you pray, do not keep babbling on thinking you will be heard because of your many words. Do not do that because God knows what you need before you even ask it. Now, notice he doesn't say, don't tell God your needs. Jesus says, do not keep babbling on. In Philippians, God, or Paul actually encourages us, present your needs to God, and then what? And then rest in his peace. So not present your needs to God and then do it again. Present your needs to God and rest in his peace. So how do we do that? How do we present our needs to God, but protect against babbling on to God? Well, we do this by maturing our prayer life. 
There's nothing wrong with presenting our needs to God, but as we grow in our faith journeys, we need to grow in our prayer life. And how we do that is we start to embrace what I call a contemplative approach. What do I mean by that? Well, calculated was planned or arranged in order to produce. Contemplative is involving quiet, serious, and prolonged thought. This approach is very similar in how you train your body to actually stay in the cold plunge for a length of time, even though your desire is to get out of it. A contemplative approach to prayer moves away from our needs, focusing solely on my needs, and actually starts to focus on who God is, what he has done, and what he actually promises to do. It's almost like we take a step back and we're able to gain a bit of perspective, realizing that my very present story is actually a part of God's really big story that he is writing in the world. Uh, A contemplative approach to prayer actually focuses on who God is, and it's often marked by our thoughts and our silence. So calculated approach, we're the ones doing the talking. We've done all the thinking, now we're telling God what we want to do. Contemplative is more quiet and more thinking about actually who God is. Quiet, serious, prolonged thought about who God is. A contemplative approach recognizes that there is more to my reality than I might be seeing at that current moment. Yes, I need a job. Yes, I need a house. Yes, I might be struggling with something very big in my health or in my family's health. Yes, I may be walking through a very deep season of grief, but there are other realities that are happening alongside of those realities. And contemplative prayer actually pushes us to focus on not just our needs, but also who God is in the big picture. And we do this by declaring some truths about who he is. So we say, you know what? God is the creator of the world. He's not a genie. He's the creator of the world. Jesus, the Bible says, sustains the world. He holds it all together. And the Holy Spirit dwells on the earth with us. And so because God is the creator of the world, well, I can train myself to rest and lean on the promise that he says he's gonna provide what I need when I need it. It might not feel like that, but I can declare it and start to lean on that. Because Jesus is the savior of our broken world, I can start to train myself to lean on the promise that Jesus cares about the details of my very broken life. And because the Holy Spirit is the one who the Bible says hovered over the waters at creation, I can train myself to lean on the promise that he will not leave me. And because of that, I'm never going to be alone. And so the most beautiful thing I think that happens in this part of contemplative prayer, when we're focusing on who God is, who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is, is it actually trains us to put God at the center of our prayers, not ourselves. See, instead of uh, treating God as this genie stuck in a lamp held by our hands, this practice actually reveals who God is. He is the creator of the world. See, God is the one who spoke light into the dark places. He spoke the world into existence. God's the one that created every cell in your body. He knows every thought that you've ever thought. He knows everything, every detail that makes you, you. And God is the one who designed prayer so that he could connect with you. Which leads us to the second truth, and it's this. Effective prayers focus on who I need, not what I need. I have three kids. They are very needy. In fact, my kids' needs, and parents will understand this, are never more on display than when they return home 
from a long day at school. The conversation goes something like this. The door opens, kids one, two, three walk in, and they're like, so-and-so said this to me. Cue the tears. I was the only kid who forgot my library book. The only one. Cue the tears. I had a headache all day and you didn't come and get me. Cue the tears. I didn't make the team. Cue the tears. My teacher expects way too much out of me. It's so unfair. Cue the tears. My lunch fell on the floor. That's why I couldn't eat my healthy stuff, only could eat my snacks. Cue the tears. And the truth is that the needs that they are presenting to me, they're very valid. They're very real. But experts will tell you that this long list of laundry list that these kids are going to present to you are not actually their need. Experts tell you that what they need is connection in that moment. They've been gone for a long eight hours from their safe place. They haven't been around their parents. They haven't been around home. And so experts will tell you, if you can take some time and just reconnect with your children, what's going to happen is these very real needs, they're going to go into perspective a little bit as they reconnect with you. Friends, this is what you and I need to. We all have these long lists of needs that are very important, very real. They are our present reality. And God invites us to share those with him because he cares about us. Remember, if it matters to me, then it matters to God. But our greatest need is actually just to be with God, to reconnect with the one who actually created us, the one who knows us. Jesus modeled this when he lived on the earth, when he was living on this earth, showing us how to live. The Bible says that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. You see, when Jesus was going through grief, when he was going through uncertainty, when he knew he was gonna go to the cross, the Bible says that Jesus withdrew. He went to spend time with his father. It's almost as if Jesus wanted to model for us that we need to spend time with God. That even though, and even though he did have real, present, pressing needs, fears and worries that were valid, Connecting with the creator was actually his greatest need, and it's our greatest need too. Which leads us to point three. Effective prayers partner with God and what he is already doing. Now, this story of Elijah that I told you is incredibly fascinating to me for a lot of reasons. Elijah is this guy in the Old Testament. The Bible says that he's a prophet. And prophets in the Old Testament, their job was to speak to God's people on his behalf. So God would go to the prophet, these men and women in the Bible that God had chosen because of who they were, because they were obedient, because he could trust them. And he would go to them with messages for his people, and the prophet would go tell the people the messages. Some of the messages were fantastic. They were encouraging. God would say, I love you. I'm for you. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to protect you. You're going to be fine. Stay with me. Other times, God would go to them with words of caution, like, you shouldn't be doing that. I told you not to do that. Don't go there. Don't do that. Come back to me. And so during the time that Elijah was living and he was a prophet, Israel, God's people, had a king, and his name was King Ahab. So King Ahab, he was a funny guy. He got in his head that he wanted to marry this girl from another place. Her name was Jezebel. And so King Ahab decided he was going to marry her. He was going to like form this bond between Israel and this other uh, community. And the problem with Jezebel is that she came from a community that didn't serve the one true God. In fact, they served many gods. And God had said, don't do that. I'll serve only me. But King Ahab, he, has, he wants to marry this Jezebel. And so Jezebel comes 
to marry King Ahab, and with her she brings some of her staff. And these staff, within the staff, would have included the prophets who helped her worship these other gods. One of the main gods that Jezebel and her people worshipped was Baal. And the interesting thing about Baal is that Baal was known as the god of the weather. And so Jezebel's people, they would pray to Baal for their crops. So if they needed sun, they'd pray for sun. If they needed rain, they'd pray for rain. And so you can imagine what happens. Jezebel brings Baal and the prophets to the people of Israel, introduces them to King Ahab. King Ahab and the people of God start serving Baal and God. You know where the story is going. So the Bible says that what King Ahab has done actually provokes, the Bible says, God's anger. And so God sends Elijah to King Ahab with this stern message that I'm not pleased with your choices to marry Jezebel and to introduce this new God, Baal, to my people. You're not supposed to do that. Well, King Ahab, he doesn't want to listen. He doesn't care. He is going to marry Jezebel and he is going to please his wife by letting her teach the people how to worship Baal. And so what Elijah does is he says, okay, I'm going to pray that no rain comes for the next three years. I want you to imagine the embarrassment. King Ahab has married this girl that he's not supposed to marry. She has come. She has brought this false god. All the people have started worshiping and praying to Baal. And all of a sudden, the people of God are living in a drought. And the Bible says that they lived in a drought for three and a half years. Even though all this time they're praying to this god, of the weather. Well, Jezebel and King Ahab, they are furious with Elijah. And the Bible says that they have plans to go after him and kill him. And so Elijah has to go into hiding for three years in the mountains and the caves as King Ahab and Jezebel try and hunt him down because of what he has done and because he's praying for no rain. Well, after three years, what happens is God sends Elijah back to the people of Israel. And he does this incredible miracle through Elijah in which all of this Baal worship is shut down. God is revealed as the one true God. All the people of Israel, they decide that they are gonna worship God. Everything is restored. And the Bible says at that time, Elijah switches his prayers and he starts to pray that God would send the rain. And this is what the Bible says. When Elijah prayed, the sky grew black with clouds, the wind rose and a heavy rain started falling. Now, I find it fascinating that Elijah, the Bible doesn't record Elijah praying for his own safety, which I'm sure that he did as he was up in the caves and the mountains. I'm sure that he prayed for the very present needs that he was currently experiencing. God, protect me. God, give me a miracle so that I can show the people that you are God and so I don't have to be in hiding anymore. I'm sure that he prayed those prayers, but the Bible doesn't record that those prayers were effective. Instead, the Bible says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being just like we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. See, the beautiful thing about Elijah's prayer here, and why I think the Bible highlights it and says that it was effective is because Elijah is partnering with God through his prayers. See, Elijah is praying for the kingdom of God to actually be furthered so that God's people would return back to him. Elijah's not praying that God would stop the rain so that King Ahab would be punished for what he did to God and to Elijah. 
But God, but Elijah's praying for no rain so that the disobeying people of God would recognize that God is the creator and the controller of the weather and that that would cause them to return back to God. Friends, the truth is that all of us, we have real present needs. I know you walked in this place. I know you're online and you're holding things that are heavy and are hard. And all of these things are present and they're real. And the Bible says that God says, come and cast your cares on me. Remember, if it matters to me, then it matters to God. But as we mature in our faith journey, there's a second part of this truth, and it's this. If it matters to God, well, it should matter to me. See, God invites us to partner with him on what he is doing in this world. God is drawing everyone back to himself so that every part of creation would be restored in relationship with him. Eventually, we are all gonna live in God's original design. We are gonna have relationship with him. There's gonna be nothing between us and separating with us. Simply, we're just gonna exist and be with him. But until then, he invites us to help him bring creation back into restored relationship with him. That means that my prayers need to shift from just focusing on me and my needs as I begin to see connecting with God and my creator as a part of prayer and partnering with him in his mission. You see, God invites me. He invites you to care about what's happening in this world that God so loves. That means that instead of only lifting up my own needs, my own wants, my own provisions, my own need for care, my prayers start to develop into a heart of what God is already doing. So developing a heart for a world that God so loves might sound like praying for the release of those who are being held captive against their will. Developing a heart for the world that God so loves might mean praying for those who are gonna go to bed hungry all over this world because there's not enough food to pass around. Praying and developing a heart for the world that God loves means praying for our world leaders, and I mean all of them, even the ones that I'm opposed to or I don't believe, or maybe even the ones that I think are the enemy. Developing a heart for the world that God so loves means praying for the light of justice to shine on children who are trapped in sex trafficking industries. Developing a heart for the world that God loves means praying for the refugees in our city, in our nation, all over the world that have been forced to leave their homes. Developing a heart for the world that God so loves means praying for the individuals and the groups who have been abandoned or abused by religious systems, maybe for the color of their skin, the country of their birth, or the choice on who they want to love. Because if it matters to God, then it should matter to me. So yes, you know what? We present our needs to God. As I'm sure that Elijah did in his three years of hiding up in the mountains in the caves. But we need to fight against the urge to make prayer all about ourselves. We need to learn to train ourselves to linger in the presence of our creator where we like Elijah can start to partner with God, not just focus solely on my needs, but thinking about his heart, letting him talk to me, letting my heart start to reveal what's already on his heart. By caring for the things that God loves and by caring for the things that move the heart of God, that's how we start to pray big prayers of faith for other people, not just ourselves. And so a simple formula that I have started to adopt as I, as I try to push myself 
into a contemplative practice of prayer is simply this. It's three words, list, listen, and lean. The first is list. The Bible says if it matters, the Bible tells us if it matters to me, it matters to God. So I go to God with my list, the list that I make that contains the needs, the fears, the worries that I am presently dealing with. And then I go into listen. And listen's a hard one because we love to talk. We are so obsessed with our own thoughts about me, but I make space, just listen to God. Like those first few minutes of a cold plunge, I train myself to slow down so that I can actually hear what he might wanna say because sometimes on that list, there sit things that I already have an agenda. I know exactly how God could answer that. I have plan A, plan B, plan C, just waiting whenever you need it, God. Sometimes he just wants to talk to me and say, no, Jessica, I'm not gonna do it that way. Sometimes he wants to push at something that he's already been telling me for days and weeks and months, but I've just been talking so much that I can't hear him. And then finally, lean. And this is a practice where we lean on the promises of who he is, that I recognize that this world has a great need for him, just like I do. I kind of pull back and see some perspective that I am a part of this big story that he is writing. And so I start to train myself to actually lean on who he says he is. So yes, I have a real pressing need, but you're the creator of the world. So if you can speak light into darkness, certainly you can provide for the things that I need. And so I'm gonna invite everyone in this room and online um, to take a moment to calm your hearts and your minds. Sometimes I find we can say, do contemplative prayer, do it this week. But it's hard to do if we've never done it before. Sometimes it's easier to practice if we've already practiced it. So we're gonna practice it as a group this morning. And so I'm gonna invite you to take that list that you wrote down. Maybe you got some things down. Maybe you were too embarrassed or shy. You weren't writing those things down beside that person next to you. They're gonna see all your worries. That's fine. I want you to hold that list in your hands. I'm gonna invite you to close your eyes. At home, I'm gonna invite you to close your eyes. So I want you to think about what sits on that list. Maybe it's aging parents my children, I have a health appointment coming up this week. There's a health call that I need to make that I've been putting off. Whatever sits on that list, I want you to hold it in your hands for a moment. Consider those things. The truth is that God deeply cares about them. If they matter to you, then they matter to God. And I want you to hold that list in your hands and I want you to invite God, say, I'm gonna surrender some of these things to you. Ask yourself, can I say the words even if after I hand that to God? God, I'm handing this, this need to you and even if you don't do what I'm gonna ask you to do, I still am gonna choose to trust you. God, if you don't work things out in the way that I want you to, I'm still gonna recognize that you're the creator of the universe. For some of those things, it's gonna be really easy. For other things, it's gonna be impossibly easy difficult. And if you're struggling, maybe you want to physically loosen your grip. Sometimes our hands are so clenched and tight that we just need to kind of open up our palms and let, the, let that list rest in our hands as we practice surrendering. If it's hard for you, I promise that God cares even more about the details of that list than you do. You can trust him. And so maybe the easiest next step for you would be just to start practicing saying those two words, even if. God, I'm gonna hand this to you and even if you don't do what I ask you to do, I'm still gonna trust you. And then the next step in this 
contemplative prayer practice is to listen. And so we're just gonna pause. Sometimes we do a lot of talking. I've done a lot of talking today. And there's nothing wrong with talking, but there is a problem if that is all that we're doing. So we're gonna take a few moments and we're just gonna listen because we believe that the Holy Spirit can speak individually to each one of us, that he can speak directly to hearts. It doesn't matter how old you are. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, wants to speak to you. And so we're gonna give some space and we're just gonna ask, Holy Spirit, what do you wanna say to me? If you've never done this before, if this feels really weird to you, I'd encourage you just to close your eyes and just say, God, do you wanna speak to me? And just wait. And so no one's gonna talk in this moment. It's very individual with you and God. We're just gonna let him have space to talk to us as we listen. Then finally, we end contemplative practice by leaning. We lean into who God is. The Bible is full of beautiful passages that talk about who God is and what he's done. I love reading in the Psalms during this part of practice because it, it tells about the things that God has done for his people. And it encourages me because if God could part the Red Sea and let his people pass, if God could save his people from drought and floods and armies, certainly he can provide for me and my family the things that we need. And so for today's practice, I've chosen a passage of scripture that might be familiar to many of us. It comes from the book of Matthew, and it's actually when Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. And Jesus says simply to them, you want to learn how to pray? I can teach you. This is what you should say. And Jesus says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us our needs. These are the things that I need, so would you provide for them, God? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom. And this is where Jesus is saying, partner with God and what he is doing on the world. Start to develop a heart for who God loves, the entire world. People that look like me and people that don't look like me. People that think like me, people that don't think like me. All of it. For God so loves the world. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so today as we close, I'm going to invite you to say this prayer that Jesus said with me. But because this entire series that we're wrapping up today has to do with correcting some of our 
wrong thinking. And because we have a tendency as humans to think the same way all the time, and sometimes we need a little shock to our system, so we kind of think about what we're thinking. And because I want to protect us from praying these ancient words that Jesus said and not really meaning them, I'm going to change the translation of the text to the message. And I'm going to encourage you as we end this gathering together, this group contemplative practice, to pray these words with me that Jesus said, but to think about the truths and lean on the promises that Jesus says, this is the way that you can pray. Let's pray together on the screens. Our Father in heaven, reveal who you are. Set the world right. Do what's best as it is above, so below. Keep us alive with the food that we need. Keep us forgiven with you and keep us forgiving others. Keep us safe from ourselves and from the evil one. You're in charge. You can do anything you want. You're ablaze in beauty. Yes, yes, and amen. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time. Thank you.